Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Alyssa Clark, and I will be your host today. I'm psyched to welcome back one of our favorite coaches, Martin Zor, to discuss running in extremes. So Martin, you've been up to some interesting endeavors, um, particularly in some extreme uh, temperatures and climates. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit of what you've been up to? Hey, Alyssa. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And uh, yes, I just recently got back from Pakistan. So that was a great experience. Uh, you know, with altitude and cold and, and some heat as well. And uh, I'm living in the Alps in the mountains. So, you know, it's kind of a everyday life for me. And uh, in the past years, I spent a lot of time at altitude uh, on a daily basis. So I'm happy to share my experiences and also kind of dig into the physiology behind it. Uh, so let's do it. Awesome. Um, yeah. So Martin has a lot of experience um at altitude he is also currently studying for a master's in yes the specifics of altitude actually what is that exactly yeah so i my academic background is uh i have a bachelor degree in sports science uh and uh now uh currently i'm studying a uh, in a master program in in the university of Östersund in sweden and it's actually a master by research so there's less theory, let's say, but mostly I'm doing a research project and I'll be writing a thesis uh, based on the data that I'm getting. And it's uh, really specialized in the altitude physiology. So I'm really super excited about this topic uh, for a long time because I really like mountains. And uh, so when I was studying the bachelor uh, in the UK, I was actually living in Chamonix while I was doing that. But I wrote my final thesis on faster acclimatization. So like a really cool topic about uh, do we acclimatize faster when we go back to altitude? Uh, is there any such thing in the body? So when you actually start digging into it, into it and try to find studies uh, explaining that, there's actually not much about it because we, we just don't know or don't know much about it. And so uh, now currently with the master, we are looking again into this topic and uh, it looks promising. So I started actually this last winter and um, I was planning to go to the high altitude expeditions in Ecuador and uh, Pakistan later on in spring. So we actually quickly created this plan and uh, tested myself. So I was actually being tested and um, so we basically did a pilot study on myself, seeing if there is any result. And now it seems really promising. And we're in actually in the, right now in the process of uh, getting more people uh, so that I can actually uh, say do a study with uh, more subjects. It, it's necessary. Otherwise, you know, when you do a research with just one person, one subject, the, the data is you, you cannot draw any conclusions from it. So. Now it's it's really interesting and um, relates to everything I'm doing at you know with Apple Athlete with my clients and most of them they are going to high altitude and I'm learning a lot. That's excellent. Yeah, I'll be so curious to see what you your findings are from that. Um, 
with this though, with the topic of trail running, we were actually talking before this about what category of altitude that most trail racing falls under. So I would say on the high side, you're looking at 3,500 meters, uh, which is gosh, 14 ish, 13 to 14,000 feet, which is considered kind of mid range altitude in your studies, correct? Yeah, so there's different categories. I would say it relates to, um, well, where people live most of the time. I think most populations live uh, sub 3,000, 3,005, even in in uh, high altitude uh, countries like uh, in South America, in uh, in the Tibetan Plateau, in uh, Eastern Africa. So uh, I think the maximum is really about three thousand, three thousand five. Uh, then I would that I would call maybe medium altitude, uh, then high altitude until five thousand. And I don't think there is any uh, like uh, long term settlements above that altitude. That's really hard on the body, and it's pretty much impossible to live long term. Um, so uh, anything about 5,000 is considered extreme altitude. Um, but, well, many people go there anyway, just for, uh, you know, for mountaineering or for trekking or just people that go there, I guess, for different reasons. But uh, uh, they don't really spend that much time up there because it's really hard, uh, obviously, on the body. We are not supposed to really be there for too long. Definitely. So if we're looking at, say, that kind of 2,500 to 3,000 meter range for trail running, because I think that's where we kind of fall when we think of altitude in trail running. If you are taking an athlete um, who's been at sea level or relatively close to sea level, how are you helping them to prepare for a race that is going up over, say, 2,000 meters? Uh, what what are your best strategies for that athlete? And maybe a couple different if you're looking at someone who has a lot of time and a lot of resources and someone who's much more limited in time and resources. Yeah. Um, I think what is important to say at the beginning is that the uh, acclimatization, so the way we adapt to altitude, whether it's the more moderate altitude or the high extreme altitude, is very individual. And again, from uh, the uh, like research, we don't really, we still don't know why that is. Uh, we know some things, but it, we, we don't have like simple tests as we do in, you know, normal like performance. We can do VO max testing. We can do uh, physiological testing to be able to predict quite well. For example, in running, marathon running, we can draw some really good conclusions if the person is fit and is able to, to run a marathon or whatever endurance race there is. But as it comes to altitude, there's not no such thing, at, at least not yet. And um, so it's it's really important to for me to like do, do proper analysis to talk to the client first. See, okay, uh, do you have any experience uh, from before? Have you been to altitude before? How did you react? Uh, how did you perform? Uh, if you had problems, what were the symptoms like? Um, where do you live? Do you live at sea level? Uh, you know, all all these questions are obviously very relevant to. To then uh, when I prescribe the training plan, uh, I would say then most for most people you start to experience something about let's say maybe two thousand meters, but uh, some people already react to even maybe eighteen hundred meters. Uh, some 
at that level, I think the body starts to sense the hypoxia. I don't think there is much happening, at least not, not much relevant, that is below 1,500 meters. Uh, so if you actually are going to altitude for training purpose to, to enhance your performance, so if you go uh, below that level, I don't think that is actually not worth it's not worth your time because not much will be happening physiologically. So yes, then if you are planning for a race that is happening above 2,000 meters, even 3,000 meters, then the factor, the altitude factor will be quite big and important. So it's important to prepare for it. And then um, it really is then hard, hard to say individually, okay, uh, it, will this person get sick or will it be okay? I mean, the most important to come to is to come to the start line really fit, obviously, the, uh, that that's the best we can do with, with, uh, with the client but then um the next next step for me is to actually uh look at the race so you got a race that will happen actually at 2000 meters and will will actually not leave that that level you will it will not drop below the 2000 meters so that's that's actually a specific situation where the altitude will be very important factor so we need to really invest into acclimatization that's that's really the best uh, best shot best best strategy but there are some races when where you run over some mountain passes, maybe one mountain, and you drop down to the to the, to the valley, right? So the actual time spent at that moderate altitude, above two thousand meters, will actually be not be that long. So for me, then it's it's good to know that. But maybe uh, it will not be that worth to to spend the time acclimatizing because yes, the person might be a bit uncomfortable it will you know the client will have to slow down a bit and uh, maybe there will be some additional fatigue but most of the training spent should be just really getting fit for the for the race and that's that's the most important part we don't need to focus so much on altitude and acclimatization and obviously when it's about uh, 2005 3000 meters i mean we can expect the really starting to see some symptoms even of ams acute mountain sickness Again, that's very individual, super hard to predict before. Um, so yeah, that, there's then you know all, all these questions that I first ask, and then yes, if the altitude is a very important factor, then we can develop strategies. So uh, I mean, that's a probably the next question, but um, we can dig into that. Oh, go for it! Yeah, there was there's different ways, so it's really important then how the acclimatization works. Uh, it takes a while. There are different. Uh, adaptations in the body and uh, they all take a bit of different time so uh, first when you when you get to altitude the body senses the the lack of oxygen in the system let's say uh detects hypoxia so-called and so first adaptations are that you uh, your breathing goes up the the the, the um, you start to breathe deeper and also the rate of breathing goes higher uh, and also the, the the heart rate goes up you start to feel like your your chest your your heart is pumping in your chest and uh, you know that's that's totally normal like your body is trying to compensate uh by by increased breathing and uh and the heart rate to increase the cardiac output it's not very comfortable obviously but it's really the first uh, first kind of adaptation uh you can imagine that it's kind of taxing on the body so you don't really feel that great also when you try to sleep uh you know, it will affect the quality of your sleep. You might really struggle with sleeping. So these are really normal symptoms of acclimatization. So this is really the first reaction, and it happens within minutes and maximum hours when you actually go to altitude. Um, 
but then the, the the next what happens next is that the body has this cascade of adaptations and it starts with up pretty fast but still you want to think about probably a minimum six days six days when we talk about the moderate altitude at least so if you're preparing for a race that will happen above 2000 meters between 2000 3000 meters so the, that first week is really really hard on the body because yes the body needs to adapt and it there's a lot of energy invested into it so you can imagine that the performance will go down. So then when it comes to me as a coach and the client, I need to ask the client, do you have time to acclimatize before that race? It's a very simple question. You know, and if the race happens on the other side of, you know, on the on another continent like UTMB for Americans, right? So it's uh, it's not super easy. Uh, you know, it's very costly. It's very expensive because you need to be there, uh, you know, in the in, in the mountains uh, one week before the race and it can be really expensive to take that kind of holiday also you're away from your family and uh, you're away from your job so all of a sudden it's not like race that lasts one day it's uh, you know we have to even invest one more extra week so that's not easy for most people so then uh, are there any other strategies how how can we go about that so yeah, so many many different options, um, but I guess it comes to the beginning when I when I talked about how big of a factor the altitude actually is. The acclimatization is it actually worth to spend so much time and energy on acclimatization? How will it affect the training? You know, so the first of all, I need the first the client to be fit. That's that's the first and foremost, and then obviously the acclimatization is is it's great if the person is acclimatized, but we also then need to know that. Uh, being at altitude, you need to uh, reduce your, how to say, training stress because the altitude is an additional stress. So that would be too much. You need to reduce something. So uh, you know you need to make sure that uh, this is this makes sense in the overall long term plan. You know that before you start acclimatizing, you are already really well trained. You are really well prepared for the other uh, attributes of the of the race. You know all the uphill, downhill, the distance, and everything because. When you start to acclimatize, you need to reduce the the training load, that, uh, you know. And uh, so all these things are really important in the overall picture. Um, so what is actually, I think what is important to say is if you have week or less, it's actually maybe sometimes better to just arrive the day of the race. Uh, that's That's been observed, you know. Obviously, if there is no time to acclimatize or you have less than one week, I think it's really better to just really keep the fitness, do the good taper and come the day before the race. Uh, I think the research says it's it's really maximum 14 hours because past that it really is. Then the body starts to go through the acclimatization process and the, the, the first days uh, until maybe day six, they are really hard and taxing. So we really need to make sure that, um, you know, the, the cost and benefit it will just cost you too much you will benefit a bit but it will cost you more so maybe that's a good uh, good tool uh, to think about um, when it comes to that you're maybe somewhere where you live and you have options to go to the mountains uh, not where the race is but somewhere in your area so uh, that totally makes sense I would encourage you to do, to do that um, I would say what is important to think is you want to spend more than probably six days, six days, maybe until two, three weeks for it to be really worth it. And uh, there is then a lot to talk about how much time and you should uh, 
do do you like sleep at that altitude or do you train at that altitude or both you know there are different strategies so there are called like live 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 high train low live high train high or the other way anyway we don't need to go into that now but um i think the most important is to spend some time at altitude to really that the body senses the hypoxia and starts to starts to make these adaptations that it will help you in the process in the performance i believe in uh one is the passive i call so either just stay there uh just kind of working or just uh, spending some time sleeping but also the active the active which means the exercising uh there's really like specificity about it obviously and that's very important in training and there are really important adaptations happening uh in your body uh when you're actually active in hypoxia really important then to make sure that you reduce the load at least in that first week uh so make sure that the intensity goes down a bit and uh you know the client can do like report on the rpe you know really uh, respect that because um you might just do too much um so really primary primary uh focus is the acclimatization during that time would you lean on rpe over heart rate during that time period i think you want to follow both but uh yeah the the heart rate will for sure reflect the intensity and the the the, the altitude to some extent as well uh you know one of the symptoms of especially the first stage of acclimatization is dehydration so the heart will need to work harder anyway because you know when you're dehydrated and uh, yeah that's just really hard to move the blood around for the heart so it will reflect in, in the increased heart rate but it's really hard to to say how much to what extent so uh you know at some point the heart rate might actually not make sense um related to the intensity zones as you are used to at sea level so i would say the rp is the best the you know the, the perceived effort and uh, so i would i would probably rely on that more than heart rate um and then uh i think within one month before the race uh, whatever you do at altitude will help you but it's important to know that if you go back down to sea level or low altitude in general you will start you will lose those adaptations to some extent but the body will not keep them forever that's important to know so uh the best to go with is to um kind of stay at altitude until two weeks 10 days before the race not longer but i would say you know you might lose some but you still keep some within one month i think it's fine but yes the best is to actually keep those adaptations until until the you know closest to the race obviously um again i really want to stress out that if you're preparing for the trail running race the your fitness is really important so um you can imagine that if you're training at 2000 3000 meters you will have to slow down your training and that might be an issue especially maybe if you're trying to win the race so you really need to ma make sure that everything is included in the training plan and uh, you might do some training sessions at that elevation but you might actually just benefit from going down so train low and stay high so stay high for acclimatization but do quality speed sessions at lower altitudes so you know all the factors matter and it's really up to you and your coach to develop a good strategy there that makes a lot of sense 
And also, I mean, I think a lot of people are like, well, if you're an athlete, why don't you just always live at high altitude? And a lot of that is because the quality of your work is not as good as you are able to do like speed work, et cetera, uh, at sea level. So again, then I think the very important question to ask at the beginning is what are you actually trying to achieve by that? by either living at altitude or training at altitude you know so again it's good to see where you are uh, what's your experience with altitude and acclimatization and then what's your race when is your race uh, how much uh, how much of a factor the altitude and acclimatization is for that race if it's a you know race like uh, in nepal there, i think there are some trail running races i think like stage races there are, a couple, yeah. there are happening at three four thousand meters or even maybe even higher so you definitely want to invest into acclimatization because you otherwise you will suffer or you will just not perform really well. But you know the on the, on the other hand, if uh, if the race is maybe at fifteen hundred meters, at two thousand meters, I think the best is to really get fit and stay at sea level, stay at her, in your home where you used to train, sleep well, recover well, and and be prepared. Um, you know you will not benefit so much from acclimatizing. Um, for me, I think most. Most of the my objectives recently in the last years were at kind of extreme altitude, so I know that the the acclimatization is so important. So I was doing a lot of that, like living at altitude, but also uh, training at altitude and even like extreme altitude. So I needed those ad specific adaptations. But if I was preparing in you know some some mount lower mountains, I don't think I would be worried so much. You know about that acclimatization so it's all it all depends um what you're actually trying to achieve by that again gotcha if an athlete two questions if an athlete say has it's one of their first times ever racing at altitude and they've really only done mo they've, they've lived and spent most of their time at sea level do you see a benefit in them doing some kind of like a test piece, even if it's not necessarily acclimatization for the race, but more just seeing how their body responds to altitude? Or is there just such variability in how the body can respond to altitude that one exposure to it really doesn't give you that much evidence for later on? Um. I think every experience will count, you know, uh, I guess it depends in what altitude are we talking about. Uh, but again, the best yeah. is really to go out there and to test yourself, see how you feel, see how your pace changes, you know, at the, at the given intensity. Uh, you know, I would, I would really watch the heart rate. I would watch the saturation, you know, and you can really see, okay, like my body really reacts uh, badly or I'm fine, you know, that's, it's, it's really hard to predict. It's it's not really based on the fitness uh, as well. That's what's been observed more like the, the high altitude and extreme altitude. Uh, there are probably other mechanisms in the body that actually determine how well you acclimatize or react to altitude. So uh, fitness doesn't seem to be the mo most important factor at all. So, you know, um, but again, if we are talking about the moderate altitude, you really want to be prepared the best you can. Uh, what is interesting, maybe just to throw it in there, um, in this topic, is that um, the people with high fitness. So when we talk about high VO max, you know, they you lose your aerobic capacity with going higher to high altitude. You know, the higher you go, you will lose more. 
so imagine compared to sea level, I think the fifth on fifty percent, it's about six thousand, uh, maybe seven thousand meters. You're at the at, at the half of uh, your aerobic capacity, mm-hmm. but that, that that's not really that. It's it's really the atmospheric pressure that is the fifty percent of the sea level. So it might it logically should reflect in also your VO max and aerobic capacity. But what's been observed that um, like high fitness people, let's say higher VO max, they will actually lose more compared to okay. you know people with lower VO max. So they might tend to when you go to eight thousand meters, like really extreme altitude, they might be at the really like 40 percent, but actually. Um, the ratio goes higher with the, the with the people with more fitness. So, not really know why. Don't really know why, and I don't think many people know why. But again, we are looking into that. Um, but anyway, um, let's try to talk maybe more about that moderate altitude and yeah. what uh, what uh, what happens uh, what happens there. So, I think it, any experience again will be important for you to try to see, okay, what can I do better? If should I invest next time more to acclimatization? And, uh, you know, again, it's really super hard to, to predict before. Yeah. I think that that's, um, one of the trickiest parts of talking to clients about these races and such as you can, it's kind of this like, well, we can try everything and we can do the best we can, but we still cannot a hundred percent predict that you will have a positive, negative, neutral um, outcome out of this uh, situation. And so I think that can be really frustrating for people. Um, But it also, I think, just has to be a consideration that you take when you are doing races in in this, you know, 2,000 to 3,000 meters. It's just that's kind of the way it is. And we just have to accept that to a certain extent that there is a level of unpredictability. We can do everything right and still have not the best outcome. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, again, the depends what the race you're doing or what kind of adventure you're doing. And, you know, the, it's, it's an adventure out there. So um, I think uh, it's, it's a big part of it, but I think, you know, you invest so much into your training, maybe, you know, you, you took one year to really prepare for one specific race. So you really want to make sure that you do things right. So I think then you approach us as coaches, for example, at Uphill Athlete, and you really want to find out, okay, what, what, what is the best strategy here? What should I do? What kind of plan? And so I would say, uh, if you have the opportunity to go throughout that year to test yourself and, you know, we can really... Yeah. get some data, get the experience and make a plan for it. And then again, depends really on so many factors. So most mostly where the person is, where the client lives, sea level, okay. Then the, on the daily basis, it's the training that is important and the recovery. And then, okay, let's get you to some, you know, to, to the mountains and, uh, and do some specific training there, see how you react. And then uh, yeah, before the race, okay, do you have time to take, to, to spend some time there just before the race, or we can plan for some trip, acclimatization training camp, uh, two, three weeks before the race. And, uh, you know, and then once, when you fly to the race, you, you we can assume that you'll be, uh, you'll be ready for, uh, for the challenges of the race of the altitude. Definitely. Yeah. I think that acclimatization piece, um, is your surest bet to, to perform your best, even if it's not exactly where the race is being able to get out and spend time and acclimatize. Um, yeah, 
ideally I'd love if every client was able to do that. I know that that's not always the case. Um, no. So let's get into a couple of other pieces of altitude and we are going to try to touch on um, heat and cold as well. But um, nutrition and hydration change when you are at higher altitudes. Uh, so Martin, how do you help athletes adjust to these um, changes in, in hydration and, and nutrition needs? So when I talked about the acclimatization process and how long it's taking and uh, what actually happens physiologically in the body, so that's, that's really important and relates to the nutrition and, and, and um, you know, what, what changes and uh, what, can, what we can do about it. So uh, what's important to know is that first, well, some of those first adaptations uh, in the first days and the first week, let's say, is that uh, the, the body loses water. There's, uh, there's, um, you know, this weird, how to say, I, I call it like really strange adaptation that, um, you know, the body tries to get rid of the plasma to increase the hematocrite, which then actually makes it harder for the, for the heart to pump blood around. So uh, it really makes it very uncomfortable. Uh, and also, um, the increased di diuresis through the urinary loss. So you just lose water. So you want to make sure that you hydrate more specifically that first week um and so that i would say that that is really one of the more important uh things to do to to pay attention to in the first week at altitude and then um what is then important to know is that your basal uh, basal metabolism is increased so you're kind of spending more energy whatever you're doing if you're exercising or not you, you're uh, so, uh, that's really important to know. And so it will just cost you more. So make sure that you, uh, reflect that also in your, in your nutrition, that you, you maybe get more calories in and, uh, but also just make sure that you're aware of the increased stress, increased stress on the body, specifically that first, uh, first week is important. After that, it starts to stabilize more. Uh, you will notice if you spend more than one week at altitude. For most people, what happens is that the the heart heart rate goes down, the resting heart rate heart rate. If you compare it on a daily basis, you will notice that it starts to calm down. Your rate of breathing goes down, so it's also something that that with the increased rate of breathing, as I as I talked about, that's uh, really one of the first adaptations of the body to try to get more or air and oxygen in. Uh, you also breathe out and breathe out the the water, so there's a there's more. Of water lost uh, through the through the breathing, the increased breathing. So uh, these things start to go down because the the adaptations that take longer, they will start to take place, and so the, but then the body can you know put things into order and um, you know try to calm down the heart and then the breathing as well. Um, then like you know there are obviously other challenges and other things you can do with nutrition, but I'm not the specialist in that area. But I think these ones are quite important, especially at the beginning. Uh, so uh, you want to make sure that you pay attention to it. And um, yeah, I think now now you can understand that um, whether you're training there or you just kind of live high and train low, you know, it's an additional stress. So make sure that you uh, invest more into recovery and um, maybe reduce the training stress. So that that might one week, if you just uh, 
keep going if the, if the, if the training like nothing happened uh you might pay you might uh overdo it and so that's really uh really important definitely well those those are great and because i think that um i've mentioned it before on the podcast but so often we can feel really uh excited and dialed in on our nutrition at sea level and don't take into account that there's a tremendous amount of difference at altitude. And so I think just really being conscientious of those changes happening. Um, I experienced plasma dumping. I always have to pee so much when I first start getting into altitude. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it makes a difference. And it's something you really have to take into account and make sure you're staying on top of. Um, because unfortunately, you know, you can do everything right and just not have, be accounting for the extra fueling and hydration and that can be uh um kind of a a factor that takes you down <laughs> unfortunately yeah and it's a big part of the whole picture so um yes again so many scenarios there but uh you know when you go to the even higher altitude you know then usually how what happens is the suppressed um um appetite you know, so you don't, you're not that hungry. So that's kind of a challenge because, you know, you actually need to get more calories because because your uh, everything costs more energy. The basal exped uh, energy expenditure is increased. So, but you're not that hungry. So it's a, it's quite a challenge. And usually, the results if you're spending more time, especially on the expeditions in extreme altitude, so you usually tend to lose weight, and uh, uh, that might be a problem because then. It, it's not all it, it might be in the form of the muscle and then obviously you lose your losing your muscles is is not the best uh it will affect your performance um i don't think that's such a big factor in the in the moderate altitude as you know when we talk about the running races and those scenarios yeah i do think and also yeah just the acute nature i mean when you're in an expedition you're out there for month plus where there is the constant um weight loss whereas for a race it's a much more immediate i think um just a much shorter time frame of when you're dealing with it but that actually relates to one last question then one more point we want to touch on with altitude how do you take into consideration races like port de jean for example that are you know, three, four, five, six days long, and you are kind of doing that vacillation of like being high, dropping really low. So, but because of the length of it, you are spending a fair amount of time up there. And also, if you do that kind of rapid uh, drop in the day before the race, you could start feeling the effects of the altitude on day two, day three. Like, I guess. Have you thought about that type of a race and what would you, Yeah. what would be your considerations for people? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's in, it's kind of in my area. I know it's close to Chamonix where I, where I live. So, um, and I know I'll start really well, uh, all those valleys. So this, this race is so brutal. Uh, I haven't done it and I'm not sure I really want to, even though that there were a couple of seasons ago, I was, I was really looking into that, but, um, no, I mean, to the question, it's a good question. And I think it's actually one of the races if a client approaches me and asks me, do I need to invest into acclimatization? My question is yes, 
because it's okay. really a big yeah. factor in the whole you know per, the, the performance and so if you don't if you arrive yes as i said within one day uh, before the departure before the start i mean you'll you'll pay uh, some of those passes are i think close to three thousand meters if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. and it's really uh, you're going up and down up and down and uh, all the way to the end of the asta valley and then the same on the way back and you're you're you know on the shoulder of the four thousand meter peaks with some of the highest mountains in the alps and so um yeah, I think it's really it, it's really smart if you really already invest so much time uh, in for the preparation because it's a big race, it's two hundred miles or so. Uh, you need to take it into consideration. Um, obviously, it comes with all the other factors with it, so the dehydration come with it, and and the increased um, um, uh, energy requirements, etc. So those obviously will be addressed by the acclimatization process anyway you know the that you you should be more more um kind of how to say settle, settle in uh you know the the i would say the direct diuresis will be not as high as the beginning as in the first days or in the first week so for for example for let's let's talk about what, what i would suggest is to really come two three weeks before if you can and really train there and obviously you can stay low in the valley uh you don't need to sleep up at 3000 meters but you can really train and spend that spend time on the actual on the actual race uh, race trail so really the you you you'll get the specific training in and also the altitude exposure but yes it's it means that you will actually have to take a really long holiday it will cost you quite a lot of money but then Again, I like to, to think about it from the cost and benefit uh, point of view or perspective. How much will it cost me, and how much will I benefit? So I think in this point and this and this example, the benefit is really high. So yes, even if it costs me, uh, I, you know, the benefit is really important. But yes, if you're living in the states and you want to raise the tour, then um, you can spend some time in Colorado and you know invest into the high altitude camp. Two, three weeks before the race uh, and uh yeah i think you're ready to the large extent nice yeah i think it's just a really i mean gosh i feel like the tour comes up on every one of our podcasts but it is a really fascinating and very unique situation um that i just wanted to touch on and yeah i would totally agree you know it's a huge investment it's expensive it's time and so i feel like it's worth taking that extra bit of the whole thing. Cause otherwise, I mean, you are running the risk of not finishing it and then you're taking, yeah. you know, you're taking away everything you work towards. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. It, I mean, it's worth the extra time. It's sort of like an expedition, right? It's uh, such a big adventure. So, uh, I mean, for me, it goes without saying, but yes, if clients don't really know, and I really try to break it, break it down into, uh, like, these factors are really important to address okay you have this time to train you have these uh you you're left at, uh, at sea level okay well we need to really make sure that you spend some time at the altitude because as you as you say you might just fly halfway around the world to race and you will just fail because uh you didn't invest into this really important factor in other cases the races you know they just kind of touch the moderate altitude and you will spend maybe five percent of the the whole whole race whole time at that altitude uh, which might cause you trouble 
but you know the, the majority is actually at quite a low altitude so yeah it's not so, such a big factor and so we don't really need to spend so much time and energy and money uh, resources um, on that and you know so it really is about looking into the whole picture make an analysis of the of the race and and really determine how how important those factors are and then and invest into them definitely yeah it's it's so true you, you have to make that investment um unfortunately i mean fortunately unfortunately like oh darn gotta go spend some time in aosta valley like it's truly amazing so <laughs> yeah would recommend it um so i guess the last thing i'd like to touch on and we could go i mean we i think we are going to do a podcast series on altitude uh on its own so you'll be a big part of that um but something that athletes will sometimes try to lean on is more on the medication side of things and so we just want to give a few safety precautions about using medication to mask symptoms um or to to kind of like quote unquote treat uh the symptoms of altitude and um just recently i was looking into diamox and um that's quite often prescribed for altitude and it is illegal um for at least the utmb series races um it's a diuretic and so it is banned on the water list um, and so UTMB uses that as their governing principles. And so just for a heads up, Diamox is not allowed. Um, honestly, for health reasons, I can absolutely see why. So really just make sure that you're checking um, all of your medications for racing in terms of what is banned. Um, that's hugely important. But Martin, do you want to touch on anything about medications or using those types of things uh, when it comes to altitude? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really an expert in this area, to be honest. So I don't really want to say that, you know, I will give you some relevant information here. Um, so maybe like a, from a personal perspective, you know, I think moderate altitude, I think you can do without any medication. You should be able to. I mean, there are usually specific cases. And I think it's more about you talking to your doctor and with specific expertise, you know, to really make requirements. And if you're, uh, let's say, elite athlete, uh, yes, these things are actually being controlled. And so, for example, the Diamox, that's the usual uh, med medicament or med medication that is being used for especially higher altitude, um, it's it's banned. So you, need, you, sh you cannot use it. But um, for me personally, I, was, I used to work on Agil de Midi, which is uh, the high altitude lift in Chamonix. And so I also used to sleep up there. Uh, as a part of my job and this the top is at 3800 meters so let's consider it high altitude and um, even though being really acclimatized uh, you know throughout the season i was there pretty much every day um i still struggled to sleep uh it's really interesting i don't really know why um it was random some days some nights i were okay i slept uh, really like a baby but most of the some of the nights were really tough so i used to take aspirin I, I'm not saying that I encourage people to do that, but it's just a thing to this um, diluting effect of aspirin. I think that's one of the effects that it has. I would say that really helped to, you know, with with um, 
the, to make the platform easier, how to say it, facilitate, um, really made difference. I was able to sleep uh, much better. Uh, that's one thing. And another kind of a funny, funny insight. Uh, there is actually one one research paper on that. Uh, so the scientists did a did a test on um, on the huts on Mont Blanc, which is the cosmic hut, the Tetrus and Guter hut, and they actually tested the urine. Uh, in those huts without people knowing. It was uh, anonymous, obviously. And they tested it for the drugs. And uh, they found a, quite an interesting, very long list of the different, all kinds of different dr- drugs and all the way to cocaine. And so it's kind of hilarious, uh, just interesting what people actually take to, to you know, make it easier for them to climb Mont Blanc. Or maybe it's also anxiety uh, to help with the anxiety but it's it was quite remarkable uh what what was actually found in uh in uh, in the toilets yeah i love that i mean that's pretty incredible i mean i don't wow yeah that honestly that was a very bold move to be like oh we're just gonna use cocaine to get to the top of Mont Blanc. yeah but interesting yeah, people are willing crazy. to do a lot of things and 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 i guess I guess the the stance that, that we'll take on it is to be very careful to consult your doctor and also to check um, water and really, I think, you know, all of this is to protect your health. I mean, when you start getting into situations where you are masking symptoms, that can often lead to other really serious health issues. And so just being safe is the number one thing. And sometimes taking medication can mask our ability to be as safe as we should be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Be conservative and I think test yourself first before going for some serious race and acclimatize if you can. I mean, uh, maybe one, the last thing we, I, I forgot to mention is the use of the normal baric hypoxia, which means using actually the tents um, with reduced oxygen. And that actually has pretty good effect uh, and sort of simulates altitude when, when you're at home. So um, it is basically a machine that pumps out the air of, of the tent. Uh, you have this uh, tent over your head um, and uh, you, sl- you sleep in the tent. And um, it's not exactly, it's, it's not at all actually, it's not at all like altitude, but um, principally it, it works quite well. We've tested this with the clients and so it's one of the options if you don't have the option to travel uh to altitude to high altitude ranges to train or you don't have the option to go uh to the to the place where the race takes place um you have this option too it's a bit costly obviously these these tents are quite expensive uh you can also rent them uh, all this is possible and uh, again if you and your coach decide you know Altitude and acclimatization are really important uh, for the performance uh, and you don't have any other option, this one, uh, this one could help. So, um, you know, ask, uh, ask around, uh, you know, contact us at Uphill Athlete and we've tested this before and it works not exactly as the real altitude, but it works pretty well. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's a great place to... Um, wrap up the the altitude conversation, which again we could <laughs> continue on for for much longer. So the other uh, extreme that we'll be talking about is heat and cold, 
And when we think of heat, we have examples of bad water. Um, I think Marathon de Sol is quite hot. Um, some of the, the crossings, the desert crossings, even Western states is quite um, a high heat race. And then with the cool, we have the Iditarod. Um, we have races up uh, in the Minnesota area, uh, like the Arctic Ultra. You know, there's some very big extremes of temperature. Um, so, Martin, I think especially heat is becoming more and more relevant to us, um, sadly. <laughs> what are some of your key pieces of advice for hot weather um, racing? Um, well, yeah, let's, heat is really a big factor, and the thermal regulation is really one of the biggest, uh, let's say, physiological factors uh, when it comes to performance and like the overall functioning of the body. Uh, so um, it's really good to realize that our body functions within a quite a narrow range of what is considered healthy and actually what is really within where we can actually function and live. So I think when your body temperature drops below 34, maybe 30, I think I'm not really, really sure about the exact number, but it's, it's pretty impressive actually that within really narrow range that, that's where the body functions if it drops below and if it goes over like 38 degrees 40, 40 degrees celsius i mean um then we are into in, in trouble real fast so this is really important and so um our body has a really amazing way to function and to actually keep this the especially called the corn temperature so um there's really various ways to to um uh, to adjust to to keep this to, to keep this temperature within these uh, these narrow boundaries, and this is challenging, obviously, when we when we talk about the cold and about the heat, right? So, um, yeah, what's uh, what is important to 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 also realize is that when we we are active, that when uh, especially with the exercise, we are creating a lot of the a lot of heat in the muscles, the meta so so called metabolic heat, so. Um, the body then has needs to get rid of this heat because otherwise it just um, you know we just we can overheat and obviously this is very challenging when the outside temperature is also hot. So um, there are different uh, ways for the body to get rid of this heat. So um, basically the four, four types of the heat transfer in general are the conduction, uh, convection, uh, radiation, and evaporation. So I think most people are uh, familiar with the evaporation, so we the body uses sweat sweating to get rid of uh, rid of the heat. Um, the pretty the most basic way to transfer the heat from the core of the body to the outside is through the blood. So uh, that's also very important when it comes to exercise because, as you can imagine, most of the blood is actually used to to bring oxygen to the exercising muscles. So uh, then if the body then needs to also thermoregulate, so part of the butt needs to do that as well because that's super important but it will the body will prioritize it because we it cannot afford for the for the core of the body for the organs and the brain um the crucial organs in the body to overheat that's uh, that's out of the question if it happens then you're in trouble you faint you lose consciousness you know and uh, even die at, uh, at the extremes and so obviously that's the priority so you realize that when you're running and it's really hot then you you know you, you get sick or you just really feel it you have to slow down you have to do something 
because the body is actually trying to thermoregulate. What is good is that we can actually train this. We can get better at this. And actually with the heat, specifically with the heat, uh, we can, this can happen real fast and actually compared to altitude uh, faster. And so, um, yeah, the maybe just a very important one, the sweating, for example, the sweat rate can really double within a couple of weeks of a, of a good training. So there are different ways to do this. So obviously it depends where you are, where you're based. If you're preparing uh, somewhere in the cold or in a normal climate and you're preparing for a race like uh, the, the Badwater and the other races, Marathon de Sables, like these, these extremes, um, you know, you need to, you should spend some time, invest some time and training in for this specific condition for the heat. So, uh, with the different ways you can train in the heat, you can, uh, train when you're overdressed to, to, uh, bring this, this, uh, this stimulus for, for the training, but maybe the most, uh, convenient and practical one is to use the sauna. So it's basically do a training and then, then actually go to the sauna right afterwards because, um, you are actually slightly overheated from the training, from the, from the heat created by the muscles. Um, and, um, and then you top it out with the, with the sauna and, uh, you can do this maybe not every day because that can cost you obviously, or, you know, if you do this every day, then you, you will probably have to reduce the training load, you know, this will affect the training quality. So, uh, you know, it, just be smart about it. Just ask your coach and to create a good strategy. Just know that these adaptations can happen within a couple of weeks. And so um, usually it's good to start maybe with more intense, maybe almost every day, and then keep it for every two, two three days, just go to the sauna and keep the stimulus, the heat stimulus, and the, the, then the body will recreating and keeping these adaptations until your race. Excellent. Yeah, it's super important to be able to adjust to it. Um, and part of that also is figuring out how to keep yourself cool. Um, and so, and also how you fuel when you are in the heat. With that being said, like digestion becomes a lot more challenging when it's super hot. And so having foods that are much easier, I think of gels like spring energy um, you know, also a lot of liquid calories versus trying to eat a heavy, dense thing will be a lot easier for you to digest when it's super hot. Um, and also things that have more, um, liquid in them inherently will add to your hydration as well. And so it can be kind of that dual purpose. Um, yeah, yeah. Martin, do you want to add to that? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree to, with that. And um, I think that here experience is, uh, is super precious. I think you want to test yourself there. Um, this is also very individual, the reaction to, to heat. Uh, everybody sweats differently. Uh, everybody's sweat will be different. Uh, you know, some people will lose more salt compared to others. You know, some people will just lose more fluid rather than salt. So uh, these, these things you can actually uh, test uh, relatively easily uh without any complicated testing and so that will give you a great idea okay you tend to sweat more you tend to lose more salt so you really can then create a good uh, good um a nutrition plan for the race but also knowing that by the heat training as we spoke about um you know you can even double the amount of the the sweat rate so that's a good thing 
because that's how you get rid of the heat, the excessive okay. heat. So <laughs> that helps you to thermoregulate your body, to thermoregulate. So uh, you actually want that. But then also you obviously need to replace that uh, the fluids. And uh, again, back to the point uh, that I spoke about before, is that most of your blood during exercise will be in, in the muscles or bringing the oxygen and, and nutrients to the muscles. So um, less, less blood will be, much less blood will be uh, available for digestion. So that's, uh, that's the obvious challenge. Uh, that's why nutrition is such an important part of the whole performance and training and, and exercise. And so, yes, uh, eating anything solid, complicated to digest will be, it, it will turn into disaster because, you know, your digestive system will just reject that. Uh, there is no capacity. You will not be able uh, to do that. And um, also very important is uh, if you're dehydrated, especially seriously dehydrated, anything else like the digest digestion and, and absorption of nutrients of food, uh will be very very difficult so you know obviously you want to hydrate first but yeah there's so much to talk about about nutrition and there are much more knowledgeable people than me for this well same <laughs> but i think just kind of general guidelines of or just even i think alerting people to the fact that strategies will have to change in the all of these extreme situations is um super crucial yeah i think people are just like oh yeah i know it's this is what works it's like well that might work great at sea level in a nice 60 degree or like uh you know 18 c day yeah. perfect but yeah. you know you start adding in different factors and it, it changes a lot yeah i call it a train for adversity you know if you only train in the ideal like conditions that. uh well you you will come to the race and uh the weather will be bad and well you're, you're not ready <laughs> you know and uh mostly exactly. one way or the other uh yes i think it's it's really important and important uh as you spoke about the carbo drinks or eating more like the fluids and the calories in 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 the fluids uh, i think it's really important to keep separated the the fluids and also the carbo drink because if you only have the carbo drinks you might run into trouble because you're kind of stuck with either one or the other. So I think it's it's important again, but talk to the other the coaches and the nutritionists before and really to to know test yourself. Test again, test your sweat rate and test uh, you know your sweat, what is actually in it. You know how much salt, like how much how many much mineral, how, you it, how much salt do you tend to to lose through the sweat. Because these these are important. Because then you can really adjust your uh, nutrition for the race. Absolutely. So recently, as in a week ago, and then back in April, I participated in two races that were unexpectedly warmer um, than anticipated. As in, far far over. Well. Yeah, the one in April was 35 to 40C, and the one most recently was about 30C, which was a very big surprise in Wales. And one of the things that is very key as you are racing um, and you're trying to maintain the higher pace, the higher effort, is cooling yourself um, and your cooling strategies during the race. And so often I think people actually just don't quite know how to cool themselves. So for me, that looks like every opportunity um, at 
the race that I had of canyons to have ice down the shirt, ice in my hat, dunk my head in, you know, just get wet and to cool my outside. Um, I did. And the same thing for dragon's back was shockingly hot. And it's the same thing where I just try to get in streams, like put my whole head in, um, get my hat wet, you know, just cool my bot, my exterior down because that ultimately, and Martin's going to explain why that is so useful. Um, that ultimately will help you to, uh, perform better in the race. And Martin can explain, I'll let you explain why that's the case. Yeah, so again, I think it's it's really key to keep the core temperature within the limits, as as we spoke about. So really try to help the body to get get rid of the heat. Uh, so it comes to yes, the the cooling, the different strategies for the cooling, if if that's an option. But also wearing the right gear, the clothes, right? So you don't want to wear the black clothes because that's uh, you know that will not not be great. Um, it really attracts more, more heat, and so you're, you're getting into more trouble there. Um, when it comes to the cooling, uh, if you have that option, if there are streams along the, the trail or rivers or, or, or ice at the aid stations, uh, what happens is actually you're not, you're not um, if you obviously don't jump into the ice river, glacier river, or the ice bath there, you probably will bring the core temperature down at some point. But in... In the most pra more practical sense, like what happens quickly is you're actually cooling the surface of your skin, or uh, your skin and your surface of the body, and so you're actually increasing the gradient. So the the heat inside in your core and uh, compared to the surface, so then the body actually is able to get rid of that internal heat uh, faster and better, and that's that's very important. That's so that you really um helping yourself there and uh, you need to take every opportunity if that happens during um during the race um yeah i think um it's uh it's it really depends obviously on the situations in the races and uh um i just had a couple of clients in verbia they ran the ultra and was really hot uh, you know very unusual for for september but i guess uh, this is now the new norm the you know what used to be the you were in the mountains it was supposed to be quite cool and now all of a sudden you're facing these these challenges you're running in 30 plus degrees uh, conditions and so um the heat factor is uh, super important you want to be ready for that absolutely and i guess we will touch on the last bit which is cold which is seemingly less and less of a factor which is a huge bummer um for many reasons but uh, just quickly, like, what are some of your key pieces of advice for tackling colder weather efforts? Yeah, well, to be honest, I, I like cold. I like it much more than uh, than the heat because <laughs> I don't really work well in the heat. Yeah. You know, who does? But uh, I guess some people do. Um, but anyway, um, I guess uh, me as a more like a mountaineer, um, you know, I have to be ready for the cold weather because it can really be uh, dangerous. You know, you know, it, uh, it comes, to, it can come to the point where you damage, uh, damage your, uh, have some damage in your body, like a frostbites and and more serious uh, versions of it. Um, when it comes to running, I guess it's really about experience, about being uh, use logic. You know, being prepared for that, having the right gear. Um, knowing that, yes, you can afford to 
not uh, not overdressed because your body is creating heat uh, with the with the exercise. Uh, why? Because the metabolism and the, the the way that the body works is not ex exactly efficient. You know, some of the ener the energy goes to to the work of the muscles, but some of the energy is wasted as the heat. And so we can then use the the body can use the heat to actually keep it quite warm during exercise. And so obviously, then if you're really cold and if you cannot move, for example, then you start to shake in, involuntarily, right? So that's that's actually. Uh, how the body is trying to bring up the heat by by actually these the, the, the shaking right so um, all these things are really important to know um, if you are running in the cold you want to have again the right gear the right uh, right clothes protect your eyes as well because you can also freeze your eyes it's important to know um, and also avoid constrictions uh, to constriction of the body parts because why uh, you want to allow the blood flow to be free because if you reconstruct the blood flow the the blood actually brings the the heat to to the surface uh, or to the to the tissues um and so if you restrict that well you're not doing yourself a favor um so it's important it's important especially at high altitude with the with the boots and um if you're doing ice climbing you know your 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 fingers uh you you um, tend to freeze your fingers a lot because um well kind of squeezing gripping the ice tools right so yeah, it's it's super annoying screaming barfies yeah yep yeah, it's, it's so it's annoying epic and annoying for sure um it's so painful yeah don't use cotton materials because then you know from your sweat you will just uh, have the moisture on your skin and then the, by the conduction you will lose a lot of heat so you want to use merino and, and the wool materials for sure. That's that's super important. Um, yeah, so um, I guess it's it's more about experience. There is not that much actually adaptation or by training uh, when it relates to cold. Uh, so it's really more to adapt through one is the experience uh, being smart. So you know if you go out there to to run some winter winter trails or then the races or expeditions uh, you need to really know what you're doing have the right gear being able to change quickly uh, you know your your when you sweat uh, and you need to stop so um, I would say the experience comes there oh, that's great last kind of question is adjusting fueling strategies for cold what what do you recommend and also uh, hydration um, yeah so I guess you want to again stay with your fueling strategy and hydration, uh, but I guess you want to try to drink something something warm. So if you can, obviously you have the option. I wouldn't say that if you go for some shorter training sessions, it doesn't really matter. But if it's for longer races, I think you want to have those options. So uh, use the thermal bottles. So by drinking the the warm drink, you know you're actually helping the to to keep or bring up the core temperature. Uh, you know, uh, so that's that's probably the, the best way to go for it. And um, yeah, when it comes to nutrition strategies in uh, in the cold, so again, be smart. You know, you still need to um, you, you still need to drink um, well and regularly. But you probably want to maybe carry a thermal bottle, and um, by that, by drinking uh, warm warm water, you're actually helping to keep the core temperature up. And uh, I would say the you know the the fueling 
kind of stays similar um, by actually eating digesting you're creating this metabolic heat as well so you know obviously it will help you help your body to keep the core temperature up excellent yeah and so to kind of wrap up the three topics that we covered within this idea of running in extremes we are increasing risk because we are on the edges of what we're trying to do whether it's the edge of extreme heat the edge of extreme cold the edge of higher altitude obviously we're not going into super high altitude but higher altitude and so the most important factor is safety whether that means carrying an extra jacket whether that means bringing extra water um, or hydration and whether that means taking a little bit more time to acclimatize it's very important to take those extra steps to take that extra precaution because you're not just talking about a faster finish or a better result, you're talking about safety and you're talking about making sure that you come back to your family in one piece, healthy, happy, and safe. And ultimately that's what we want our athletes to do. That's what we strive to do and help people to prepare for. So do the best you can and make sure that you're prepared when you're heading into these more extreme situations. Martin, do you wanna wrap up with anything else? Sure, well, I think now, uh, people can understand that the environmental factors are really important in terms of performance. And so for us coaches, it's obviously the first and foremost important, as you mentioned, is the safety and the health of the clients or the don't harm the client. Really important of it, well, most important. But then when it comes to the, the performance uh, during the races uh, and when the environmental factors are really important, then what is important to to, to know is that we can actually to quite a large extent, uh, change it, improve the capacity of the body to deal with these factors. And uh, so, you know, then it really comes to understanding well the physiology and, you know, how much of what we can do to, to improve, uh, you know, how much can we benefit from, uh, from the training uh, at those serious conditions, uh, extreme conditions, how much will, will it cost to do the math and then, you know, incorporate it into into the smart smart training plan excellent yeah we do have tools to make this better to make this safer um, and to help you do your best so thank you for listening to the uphill athlete podcast if you can rate review subscribe that helps us a lot martin it was a, a joy to have you on and bring so much wisdom and experience to the podcast and i know that our athletes will take a lot away from this so thank you thank you it's not just one, but a community. We are Apple Athlete.